0: So if you're a good CEO, you shouldn't be micromanaging, you shouldn't be telling people exactly what they should be, you should be enabling those people and trying to see what kind of issues are limiting their, their success, their growth. And, and much of what I find myself doing on a daily basis with 30 companies is not much different than what I did with with Tenable.
1: Today on TechNado, we're talking with Ron Gula from Gula Tech Adventures. We're going to catch up on his adventures with Tenable and what he's been up to since then. We've also got a mental health warning for CISOs, as well as some news about a foldable phone tablet. That's all coming up on TechNado, starting right now. Hello and welcome to TechNATO. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I'm joined, as always, by Don Pazette. And we also are joined today by the lovely and talented Daniel Lowry. Daniel, how are you doing today? Doing well, thank you. So
2: lovely. <laughs> <laughs> lovely yeah. is the, the... Yeah, that's the word. That's yeah. the adjective that describes <laughs> yeah. me. More than talented. <laughs> he is lovely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we got a
1: great show today. Uh, we've got an old friend uh, back from... Uh, our RSA interview days a few years ago, Ron Gula. We're going to talk with him in a little bit about... Tenable, who we used to be with, and then uh, what he's been up to since then. But we also have a lot of news articles to get to. So, what do you say we just jump right into it? Go for it. Uh, first of all, uh, it wasn't really asking permission, but uh, we <laughs> we well, have you an got update. It anyway, though didn't you? <laughs> we, I did. <laughs> we have an update on a story we talked about uh, recently. Uh, Google is now backtracking on Chrome modifications that would have crippled ad blockers. This is over on ZDNet. Uh, Google changes its stance on upcoming Chrome Manifest version three changes as. Ben benchmark shows, they lied about the performance. (laughs) Liars. What? Google?
3: But don't Mm -hmm. be evil. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Don't be Didn't, evil. That that I
3: always thought that you know, if you could count on somebody telling you the truth, it was Google. Uh, the Interesting part about this. So we reported on it about how they they were going to be basically removing part of the the API hooks that the ad blockers used, and, and really a number of plugins used. And it was not just for performance, but also security. That you know, these ad blockers technically have access to everything that's rendered inside of your browser. Well, the team over at Ghostery, who we interviewed Ghostery, I don't know forever ago, uh, they 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 make a Browser plugin that specializes in diagnosing web performance and showing you how long it takes page load, which components take the longest, how many ad trackers you're hitting. Like the Ghostery plugin, if you're ever bored, uh, it's free. You just add it in, take a look at it. It's really awesome. Uh, but that team ran some tests, and they found that the delay imposed by plugins, even like theirs that does a ton of work, is sub-millisecond. Like that's the delay. So Google was basically telling us they were going to save us from this massive sub-millisecond delay, uh, which is really just a load of BS. And so <laughs> <laughs> now Google has backtracked and said, well, all yeah. right, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe we don't want to change that. People love their ad blockers.
1: Which almost makes you think that the company that oh. makes billions of dollars off advertising – Really did do this uh, just so they could make billions of dollars hey, off advertising.
3: Don't be evil is not their slogan anymore. That's true, right? Yeah. Uh, they they remove that. It's it's been a solid year now, right? Evil encouraged. Now, now it's, it's only
2: uh, don't be evil. It, sometimes ninety percent not evil. Yeah. Evil good. It's all on yeah. the table, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really a scale. We
1: don't want <laughs> to shut anything yeah. out. Uh, just you know, without never say never, it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know,
3: with a with a track record of honesty and dedication to their customers, the the next article. article should really come as no surprise, <laughs> yeah, right, Peter?
1: It, it will. Uh, and this one is over on businessinsider.com. Google says the built-in microphone it never told Nest users about <laughs> was, quote, never supposed to be a secret. So you just didn't ask. Yeah, so yeah, this yeah, is when so. you're a kid
2: and your mom is like, I thought you said, well, you didn't ask me about that, Mom. Yeah, yeah you know it, so mission they, yeah. they had not the problem.
3: <laughs> it, it's not don't be evil now it's just uh, have the intent to be good <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, we if intended you, to tell you about it and just forgot well <laughs> so uh, it
2: wasn't a secret Don I mean
3: Technically, it was. Uh,
2: not according to Google. <laughs>
1: to assist all of you social engineers um, listening or, or watching uh, and, and Don in his continued effort uh, to hack all aspects of my home, <laughs> I have the Echobee uh, thermostat at home, which is a smart one, but it's got Alexa built in, so I know it has a mic, and that's why. Why does the Nest have a
3: mic? Okay, so uh, this is not the Nest thermostat. Oh, And it's not the Nest Protect, which is their fire detector. So be careful with this because the headlines are a little vague. Uh, This is the Nest Secure, their security system. So they have a security system that monitors whether your windows are open or doors and things like that, and sets off an alarm and all that good stuff. So security system. Now, a lot of security systems do have microphones in them because they do glass break detection, right? Mm -hmm. When glass breaks, Mm -hmm. it emits a sound at a particular frequency. They can pick up on that. Uh, This one, it's not a feature that it has. So there was no reason to suspect that there was a microphone in it, and it wasn't until Google announced, hey, if you have a Nest secure, we're rolling out a new feature that enables Google Assistant. So now you can say, okay, Google, uh, sorry, everybody, I'm activating your devices. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, Google, and, and your Nest uh, secure device will answer back and gladly tell you what your Jim Morrison died. Well, it didn't take long before people said, wait a minute, Jim if Morrison's can do not that, dead. <laughs> well, <maybe. laughs> uh, and then he was 27. He was yeah. a, <laughs> and he was a lizard in the desert yeah. or something yeah. like yeah. that. But, uh, <laughs> People realize, hey, wait a minute, if it can hear me talk, it must have a microphone. They never told me it had a microphone. And if you check the tech specs of Nest Secure, Google has never once mentioned that it had a microphone in it. And then all of a sudden they say, oh, by the way, that device that you've had for potentially years has a microphone in it. And being a trustworthy company like Google is, we don't worry about that. It's all good. I'm sure they didn't use it. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, This is after the, the Wi-Fi scandal from a few years ago where they were mapping out Wi-Fi networks, and not only were they keeping track of where they were, which honestly is not a big deal, they were also recording the traffic going over the network at the time, which they had absolutely no business in doing. Uh, they got in trouble for that one. This is another one of those instances where uh, embedding a microphone in the devices that you're selling without disclosing it, that's not… A sign of a company that's doing good things. That,
2: that, that just seems to me that it's going to scream class action lawsuit. Oh, I'm sure. And yeah. I, I mean, want some of that money. I should have bought it, one of those. Yeah, things. well, you got to be an attorney then. <laughs> yeah. You picked the wrong career. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it could be an honest you mistake school, though. Yeah, <laughs> you know? but
3: that's the that's the sad part is we can't trust these to be honest mistakes anymore. And I yeah. like Google. I used a ton of their products. Yeah. But man, you can't hide microphones and stuff. So uh, so
1: Google's Nest, Amazon is Ring now. Does Amazon own Ring?
3: Uh, you know, I lost track. Mm. I I do. I think Amazon did buy Ring, right? Because yeah. that was part of their whole Cloud Cam will open your door. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a
2: security guy, so I'm too paranoid to purchase any of these things.
3: <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when they originally launched that so you could block out the Wi-Fi on it, and then all of a sudden you'd be able to open the door and not get recorded? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> these are not security companies. <laughs> <laughs> yep, billion dollars they bought that. A
1: billion oh. dollars. Because they're like, well, it's worth a lot more, but uh, it's because of all the data it's able to collect on you. That's why.
3: I'm sure. That's yeah. why.
1: Uh, all right. Well, uh, we do have a, a couple of uh, of security stories to talk about today. Uh, first one over at crabsonsecurity.com. Uh, Bomb threat hoaxer exposed by hacked gaming site. So, uh, Don, as you, you mentioned off the air, I, I do love uh, anytime someone is caught um, for their things because it seems like everyone just gets away with – um, these nefarious online things that they do. So uh, can you tell me the story here, how this, this guy was caught?
3: All right, so this is an interesting one. So there was a, uh, a known person. Actually, there were, there were three or four people that uh, were known to be calling him bomb hoaxes and actually doing it as a service. Like you could pay them, and they would call in a bomb hoax for you. Or a lot of times, people just ask, and they would do it is for free. Is that Bass? Uh, Bomb as a service. Bomb as a Bomb service? service. Yeah, yeah okay. Maybe that, that's bass. a new thing coming on Amazon next year. So you Land dark web. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, in this case, the guy was a twenty-year-old Timothy Dalton Vaughn. Timothy uh, ooh, Dalton. You know, they used, wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. They used three names. That makes him a serial killer, right?
2: right? I was going to say the reason he got caught was because he was in the middle of serial murder, and yeah, yeah. they were like, oh, by the way, also. Yeah, though. just uh,
3: yeah, for the record, if anybody goes by all three of their names, that they're pretty much a criminal. Yeah. And, uh, assassins
2: technically. Not serial <laughs> killers. Yeah, that's a good
3: point. Usually assassins. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah, like John Wayne Gacy, yeah. he was an assassin. No,
2: but it's usually like John Wilkes Which, Booth or John. Yeah. You know, even though yeah. Uh, I, I think we're we do that ignoring the fact no. that this is a James Bond actor. True, Timothy Dalton, oh. but it's James Bond. Good point. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, he way. does have a license to kill. No, Twenty-year-old
3: <laughs> <Yeah, he> <laughs> kid probably never saw a 007 ever. Played <laughs> Apparently, he has been calling in, and they've got the number in here somewhere, something like 2,400 bomb threats to schools and other places across the, across the globe. Some of these were international. Uh, he had a pretty good system in place for hiding his identity and making it where people couldn't figure out. Who he was so they've known about him for years but haven't been able to stop them uh, a lot of the bomb threats were actually texted uh in which i didn't know you could text in a bomb threat apparently can so uh you know he's just been doing this stuff for a long long time uh, as well as some ddos attacks well it turns out that he used his hacker handle on a gaming site no. and the gaming site got hacked and their user database got disclosed and authorities were able to find the hacker's name, the, the handle, in the database that was compromised. And that led to them being able to track back the IP to where they had logged in. And while the, the hoaxer here had been really careful about guarding his identity while doing hacking stuff, he wasn't on this one gaming site. And that led to them finding him. So they discovered him, uh, arrested him, and he is now in custody. So this is a case where the hacker
2: actually gets busted. You think he'll enjoy prison? Oh, I'm certain, <laughs> certain. Be a great time for. It. No, he'll call in a bomb threat. Yeah, yeah. Extra time down. in the yard. Well, that
3: was yeah. the the one guy that did the fatal uh, swatting. He called in oh, another yeah. SWAT yeah. from prison. So the, these people are mentally unstable. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. That so it, it, the the aliases he was
1: using on here are pretty. I mean, it looks like a password almost. It's you know capital letters and and uh, uh, numbers and things like that. So it it. Uh, it's Is it know, elite. It's speak? a good ch- yeah, it's, yeah, so it's a yeah. good chance. It's you know not something that someone else was using, so uh, you know they were able to to kind of latch onto that. But I mean, so that begs the question: Were they just scanning, um, you know, uh, databases from the dark web to see, I mean, hey, I mean. do we potentially get a match? I mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Uh, that's basically
3: what happened yeah. here, and you know, the HDG zero that was his main handle that he used. Uh, but he also used handles like "wanted by the feds." That's a good, uh, good handle <laughs> sure. to use. Yeah. So I'm putting uh, that in my my word list there. Wanted by feds. Found <laughs> by the feds yeah. Yeah. would be a better <laughs> one. But
2: no James Bond Living references. with the feds in a federal facility. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a fun one. Um, <laughs> There's a number of jokes I want to make here. Uh, yeah. debating well, how just, uh, we need to keep
3: the podcast family friendly. Sure, I think, yeah, yeah. So. Hi, well, you, you haven't seen all the stories we have today.
1: Uh, uh, so uh, the uh, uh, stories like that last one uh, give CISOs – Uh, nightmares, and that is why, according to Forbes.com, cybersecurity mental health warning, one in six CISOs now medicate or use alcohol. Well, first
3: of all, I'm sure more than one in six use alcohol. I think
1: this is saying they self-medicate with
3: alcohol. So when I read this headline, it gave me the opposite effect of the intent. So the intent is to make you feel like, oh, SISOs are in really bad shape. I mean, look at this guy. He's holding his head. He's all sad. Uh, And so they're they're drinking. They're popping Xanax or or whatever. Like, that's the life of a CISO now. But when I looked at it, I said – one out of six? Are people drying up? Like, uh, you know, let's just pull this room. Peter, do you drink alcohol? I do, because I have time, because uh,
1: I'm not a... a so. So, so. Yeah. Uh,
3: Daniel, do you, do you On talk? occasion, I uh, will occasion, imbibe, You're yes. an occasional drinker. Uh, I am a Scotch man myself, so we're two out of three, two and a half out of three. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, you know, are, are we worse off than CISOs? Yeah. Like, like, I have fun. CISOs are teetotalers. <laughs> like Brett Kavanaugh, I like beer. Okay, yeah. I, okay. He's willing to testify before yeah, Congress right. on it. You make sure that's and in the So record. are we. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get a sponsorship by some alcohol? From there? beer? Yeah. yeah. Just it's beer. okay. <laughs> if you're a CISO, it's okay to.
2: It's Miller time.
3: Now, if they're drinking at work, if it was like one out of six CISOs drink at work. That, well, even that might be normal with Silicon Valley. <laughs> no, I, by the way, I saw a commercial the other day. It
2: was uh, a brown uh, commercial. No,
1: it was a Heineken commercial. And and they're all sitting at the boardroom, and they're all like eating their lunch or eat, doing something. And, and one guy pulls out a Heineken and pops it open. Everyone looks at him like, what are you doing? That's a Heineken. We're at work. And he points, and it's new Heineken 0.0% alcohol. Ah. And it's like, now safe for work. And I'm like, but is it still? Because like that's just Kinda weird. I feel
3: like I would just... Have
2: a bunch of people weird? like
3: smuggling real beer. Into what the... a strange... <laughs> I, I've never thought of it, because you know, you're like O'Doul's or whatever. Right. Well, O'Doul's still has like 0.5. Yeah, it's, that's so th- this one's interesting because it's 0.0. So it is in no way alcoholic. All so right. it would be acceptable. We, we need to get a, some no-alcohol Heinekens for the podcast next week. I don't know where... Okay. Where, where can you buy that? Well, first we're, of all, why? Uh, yeah, i got to try this. I and, mean, and, and we can find out if it's appropriate or not. If we're in here and people are knocking on my door... But all you're saying I mean, with the non-alcoholic be beer is, over his head. <laughs> I wish I had beer right now.
1: It just doesn't uh, seem – I know it doesn't have alcohol in it. It's like having a chocolate milk at, at work, but it's not. I don't know. I could go for a beer right now. Yeah, I know. I could <laughs> do it. He's like crack open the. Anyway, I'm sorry. So
2: uh, we're deviating. Uh, so we're something. saying that they that they are
1: drinking more, right? We're we're saying that, is they're, that what they're yeah, saying?
3: Yeah, yeah. The, the point of the article In is access. that it sucks being a CISO. It's very stressful, and uh, people are boozing it up. Dude, have um, you seen
2: the CISSP? That is not a fun. <laughs> no wonder they're drinking. Yeah. <laughs> I got to remember how many standards. This is yeah. crazy.
3: <laughs> you know, it's a lot of pressure. When, when a company gets breached, who's the first person to go? See yeah yeah so you know the the pressure's on and but you uh, can't
1: fire him if he's uh, an alcoholic that's
2: true and if he says that I'm, that I'm alcoholic a... I have a horrible problem yeah yeah uh, like so these he sees smart, the so talk coming <laughs> and you're like can you can you come in here real quick <laughs> yeah. Can you have a little word with you about that breach and he brings in a Jack Daniels empty bottle look I've been I've been no, drinking it's, for two, it's two days. Jack Daniels 0.0. <laughs> <laughs> 0. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. as in I drank all of it and there's zero, 0 of it left <laughs> <laughs> I need help. You have to send him to to rehab. Not that
3: alcoholism is funny. Uh, You know, it is a serious condition. But I think one out of six CISOs drinking is not a significant issue. Um, Doesn't seem like it. I don't have a PhD. uh, Nor nor statistical data to back that up. (laughs) But I feel like uh, if you polled Americans, one out of six Americans drink, if not more. So uh, this is a statistically void article, in my Uh opinion. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) All right. Uh, And if too much drinking does
1: catch up with you, uh, causes liver failure, uh, our next article is right up your alley uh, from Wired.co.uk. The weird rise of cyber funerals. When you die in the real world, it's only right and proper. You're allowed to die online. Which, yeah, that's true because, I mean, you, you always see, like, the Facebook page up still, and you're like, how does that, what what happens with that now? Yeah, and it turns into a memorial. So a lot what of people if so? leave them up
2: because it's you know the active page yeah. allows them
1: to kind of go and people who grieve and even yeah. talk. But um, are, are we saying that now people are
3: are doing a a digital funeral and cleaning those things up? And there's companies that are offering services for this, and apparently it's growing in popularity in Southeast Asia, so Korea and a few okay. of the other countries in that area. But They're very active on, on social media. They are. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a big deal for them, and and it, it's spreading that way into other countries too. And you know, we have things like in in Europe, they have the right to forget, where mm-hmm. you you can have your data removed from the internet. Uh, if you're alive, you can do those requests. But if you've died, who's going to do those requests? And uh, what they're saying is, there's two things. You know, one, you don't want to speak poorly of the dead. So you know, if there's negative articles out there or whatever, you obviously want those to go. Uh, they probably wanted that when they were alive. But the other thing is just to create that closure. And uh, I've actually done this myself where I, I saw somebody's LinkedIn page just to kind of check on where they were in life and, and all. And, uh, and I saw they were working somewhere. And I thought, man, they, they've been working there 15 years. That's pretty impressive. Um, and later on, I was talking to another friend and found out they had died seven years ago. But, you know, didn't update mm-hmm. their LinkedIn page.
2: So it just looked Still like – Still is until present. Yeah. So that I updated a, the mine. hacker in me <laughs> starts thinking, like, if I could take over all these accounts – that are in, passwords aren't being updated. They're not being checked. I can get in. No one knows the wiser if they have credit information. Again, don't do this. It's a bad idea. Well, that's a but, horrible first thought, right? Is to start start stealing their credit and and identity thieving people that are dead. You're it's kind of a victimless crime at that point, except for the you know yeah, the, the credit company yeah well the victim's already dead <laughs> oh sure right the victim sure. now becomes the credit company because I'm stealing the my estate yeah. the people you're from no because like if uh, I die my um, my kids are not like yeah. If they had a wife or whatever, then that, that would go through. But if it was a single person, okay. you, so no, can nobody work. can go after that. We can yeah. only hack the single. Yeah, yeah. You just yeah. check yeah. out their there are plenty of fish profiles. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's strange though because <laughs> I, <only>. I, <laughs> yeah. I have, a, I have a, a friend
1: from high school who who had passed away, and um, his wife elected to keep his Facebook page up as a as a place for people to kind of leave comments yeah. and, and things. But but then she would still comment on things as through that him, person. like oh, yeah. you know, he would love this something. But it's like. You, it's just a weird thing. You see the message, like, Whoa, you know, X commented on strange. your post. I'm like, how did that From happen? beyond the grave. Yeah. 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 Well, that, like that could mess with people's closure, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. That, like I don't need that notification selling sell my phone, but I'm not going to go and unfriend this person now because that right. feels like a horrible thing to do. As well, someone. that's but why you just, em. <laughs> you just block <laughs> them. Just block yeah. Man, yeah, uh, I blocking guess. Blocking the dead. <laughs> so anyway, we have to reach out to one of these companies now in the same way that you make, uh, make your preparations uh, for... Uh, yeah. any wishes you have uh, in terms of a regular funeral, maybe a smart thing mm-hmm. to at, at least put that in in the will or, or say, hey, I bequeathed my LastPass password to you. Yeah, uh, Can you please well, shut yeah. some of these things yeah. down? You know, as morbid Erase as that is,
3: <laughs> that that was the reason I started with LastPass, was uh, I have so many passwords, so many different things, and uh, I didn't want to, like, die, and then my, my wife couldn't access some of the, the accounts and things. You know, so we used LastPass so we could share all that. Um uh, I think this is something that sounds really weird today, but 20 years from now, this would just be a normal operation. Well,
1: what if, for example, you are the head of a major uh, cryptocurrency company. (laughs) Slash crime syndicate. And you die with the the only password to $195 million. million. Yeah, $200 million in cryptocurrency. Uh, Last pass. Uh, All right. (laughs) (laughs) Let's shift gears now over uh, at howtogeek.com. I like that. Uh, All right, this one, Windows 10 will finally offer easy access to Linux files. We are inching closer to Don's dream world where Microsoft puts out its own Linux distro, but uh, that's not what we're talking about here specifically. Uh, What are we talking about?
3: All right, so the the Windows subsystem for Linux, or WSL, that rolled out as a part of Windows 10 last year. We've reported on it a few times. Uh, Ubuntu is the default distro, but they also now have several other distros available, uh, like Debian and SUSE and a couple of other versions of Linux. Uh, But all along, Microsoft has been saying, if you run WSL, you've got a whole Linux environment, And that's fine. When you're in the Linux environment, you can mess around with all the files and and all that. But do not modify your Linux files from inside of Windows. So if I'm in Windows and I browse into where those files are stored inside of WSL, well, you can mess things up. And that's because Windows totally does not understand the permission structure and ownership structure of Linux. And if you touch any file, it pretty much borks things up pretty good. (laughs) Uh, So... They are releasing an update, and they haven't done this yet. You know, I've got WSL here. I'm, I'm on Windows on my laptop right now, um, and I've got uh, good old Ubuntu here that I can fire up. And so now I'm, I'm in that WSL environment, uh, and so I can get in here and, and mess with files and do whatever it is that I need. But if I were to browse to the same directory in Windows and start messing with the files, then things would get broken. So the new update is making it where you can just run explorer.exe right from any directory, and it'll pop up a Windows Explorer window that's safe, that's actually being pushed through the API hooks or whatever that Power WSL. And so that's—I uh, think they show a picture of it here on How To Geek. Uh, yeah, right here. So they're just running that explore.exe dot to point at this directory and then they get a nice little window and you can modify it and it's safe. It won't mess up your files and break things. So now you've got that access Uh, and it actually lets you mount it as a network shared folder as well. So you can continue to repeatedly browse to it without having to launch Explorer that way. So really cool stuff. Uh, that's all coming out. It's in the fast ring right now. So it's not in the, like, like I don't have it on mine yet Mm because my laptop's not in the fast ring, but, uh, But we'll probably see it in the next month or two. Yeah,
1: it says here it's scheduled for the uh, April 2019 update. So okay, just uh, around the corner. We'll see if it comes out then.
3: Yeah, Yeah. Oh, cool. That's something. I uh, was guessing on a month or two, and uh, you nailed it. it.
1: You nailed it until they, uh, until next week when we say uh, Windows is delaying their launch (laughs) of the (laughs) Linux file thingy. Uh, All right, Uh, let's head over now to zdnet.com. Windows 7 users. You need SHA2 support or no Windows updates after July 2019. No updates for you.
2: Now, I I can go ahead and vouch for that 93% of Windows 7 users aren't updating anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It says Microsoft will
1: begin rolling out SHA2 standalone updates for Windows 7 and Windows Server 2008 in March in preparation for its July 16th implementation deadline.
3: All right. So when Windows does updates, it downloads the updates from a Windows update server, usually at Microsoft, and it uses uh, SHA hashes to be able to check and make sure the files haven't been tampered with. That's pretty important. Uh, It's been using SHA-1 for years and years, and uh, SHA-1 is no longer considered – it's not considered broken, but it's no longer considered safe. I guess it's, it's considered weak. And so most systems have been moving over to SHA two. Well, usually SHA two fifty six. I don't know why they picked SHA two here, but they did. So uh, what's happening is Microsoft is cutting off support for SHA one. Windows seven is already approaching its end of life. I think its end of life comes up. Do you remember Daniel? It's like the end of this year. Or oh something. yeah, it's, yeah, it's, soon, it's coming yeah. along. Uh, so if if you're going to hit that end of life, then you're not going to get updates anymore. Well, even still, as soon as this update happens in July. If you don't have SHA-2 support installed, then you're not going to be able to get updates anymore. And the catch-22 of this is how do you get the SHA-2 support? By installing an update. So you need to do Windows updates between now and July, otherwise you're going to be in trouble. And the the SHA-2 stuff is already pushed out. That support is already out there in the Windows update system. So if you're supporting Windows 7 and you're not doing updates, no matter how big of a whatever stand you're taking against Microsoft and the man uh, or whatever, <laughs> uh, you need to do Windows updates between now and July. Otherwise, you will have ended your ability to do updates. Well, which, uh,
1: yeah, if you're on Windows 7, you're probably just just happy there. And yeah. Not updating anyway.
2: That's yeah, you like people on it. XP still, you know? Yeah. They don't care. Yeah. They're like, yeah, I'm seven, comfortable with Windows 7, and that's how it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, and then we People loved you. Windows Seven. And it and it Windows was a XP, great, yeah. yeah, it was a great operating system. XP was a great. Well, operating we do system. have a. Uh, I'm,
1: I'm going to tease up ahead here. We've got an interesting story about uh, Windows 8 uh, and how that was received. <laughs> uh, <laughs> coming up a little bit later, but uh, first, uh, let's move over to Kali.org. Kali Linux 2019.1 release.
2: I like the way that they do their
1: mm. release name. So they just do it by year and then which release yep. it is that year. Yep. It's easy. A
3: lot of vendors have switched to this model now, yeah. It, yeah.
1: it, it
2: sure makes things a whole lot easier. So uh,
1: I'm assuming there's some Metasploit updates here. <laughs> 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 I only say that because that's those are uh, words that Daniel used earlier when we were talking about this story. They said, what, what do you <laughs>
2: think is updated? And Kali Linux?" said, Metasploit just updated. And then we opened the page. Sure enough. Number, First thing number on the... one.
3: Yeah. Yep. So I... Uh, Uh, They updated Metasploit 5.0, which is a significant release. Metasploit 4.0 came out in 2011, as they're uh, detailing here on the Cali.org website. Uh, So obviously, it's a pretty big update. The framework has a ton of new features, new payloads, new uh, protocols and tools that are built inside of it. So definitely an impressive jump right there. On the Kali side, it's really not that significant. Um, the biggest update on the Kali side really are ARM updates to be able to run. A lot of people are building these little Kali boxes that run on a Raspberry now mm-hmm. so that you can drop them places and, and run remote scans and things. Uh, so that's the big update on that side. Uh, the Metasploit 5.0 update, though, so that that's a big deal. Uh, and those two things together pretty much make up what's all in the 2019.1 release. Uh, Daniel, you actually don't use Cali anymore. Anyway. Didn't you switch to Parrot?
2: So I was in Parrot for a while, but because I jumped into OSCP again. You're back I'm into Cali. Not, yeah, because you got to run that for their you're going labs Going back to and Cali. It, what's funny is, I don't think so. It's <laughs> a specific, like when you're doing OSCP studying and, and working inside their lab environment, you have to use the, They suggest highly that you use their um, OSCP version of Kali. Because yeah, they modified their. Even though right? they own Kali Linux. Like, that's them, right? <laughs> that's that's their stuff. They're like, yeah, don't use the new one. It doesn't work. It breaks a lot of things.
3: Well, I like how uh, Peter knows nothing about Kali Linux, but I do an LL Cool J quote. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Ladies love
1: Cool James. Yes. They do that. <laughs> Right, yeah, I'm like, I can finally contribute. I've got something. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, um, let's move over now to, yeah, we, we know if, if anything makes Don happy, first of all, it's going to be the uh, Linux distro uh, put out by Microsoft. And number two, it's when his phone and his computer can join forces as one and be the same thing. We took one step closer to that uh, this week, as uh, CNET tells us. The Galaxy Fold, Samsung's phone-tablet hybrid, is the most exciting phone we've seen in years. The, really? I've That's seen this. That's what they said. Yeah. All right. Samsung's <laughs> thrilling, dizzying Galaxy Fold debut makes one thing clear. They missed their CES deadline. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> if, uh, phones will never be the same. That's what I meant to say. But... Uh, Yeah, so this is not quite the computer phone hybrid you're looking for, but it is the tablet phone hybrid for $2,000.
3: It's been a roller coaster ride for me this last year. You know, you had the Razer Project Linda that we talked about last year, uh, which we didn't grab that article for this show, but Razer just laid off most of their phone staff. So (laughs) Um, it it is not looking good even for another Razer phone, better yet, Project Linda. Um, Samsung, though, they... I'm going to do air quotes here for those of you that are just listening. They debuted their folding phone back at CES, but they didn't actually have the phone. They just talked about it. They showed like a a theoretical thing. Uh, Well, at their big announcement here on the 20th, they actually showed what the Galaxy Fold is, the actual device itself. And uh, uh, There's a little GIF down there, which is 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 kind of fun. Get down to it. Oh, right here. where you see the actual
1: thing happen. It is a... A phone with a, uh, for those of you on just listening, is uh, a phone with a much too small screen uh, that opens up into an almost
2: square, unusable so, yeah, tablet. It's like a 4-point-something-inch uh, small yeah. screen and then a 7.6 or 7.9-inch.
3: Well, I, I will tell you, I, I prefer a smaller phone, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, yeah. I, I keep my phone in my pocket. And so the closed version of it with that smaller screen, I don't, I don't actually mind that. I, it's hard to tell how thick it is yeah, in this picture. It seems line. like it it's It does pretty look thick. pretty thick, yeah. Um, when you open it up, it's pretty big, but it's an odd resolution. So I don't know, uh, like an odd aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how well that's going to work with most of the apps that are out there. But I'll tell you, it looks pretty slick. Um, the thing that got me was the price point. Yeah, it is two thousand dollars. actually, I think it say it like starts at two thousand dollars, like
2: 1940 um, or something like that. 1980,
3: yeah, 1980. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it it's, basically starts at two thousand yeah. dollars. Although, I don't know how many different versions are because they tell you the spec somewhere in here, it is like packed to the nines with hardware. Space. Yeah, um, Daniel, you were talking about before the show, right? Yeah, like they seven said gigs it had of RAM, seven gigs
2: of RAM, and it had you uh, said two batteries, two batteries, so it's so double the exploding power. Try, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We can right. really clear an airplane <laughs> with that. But uh, they put a battery on each side of the fold, and they're linked together somehow so that you get like massive amounts of power.
3: All right, I, I, we got to run with it. Double the exploding power. Like yeah. that,
2: that should be their
3: marketing slogan. The TSA will yeah. crap a brick. Yeah. You now on a watch list, by the way. For, I mean, I just implied the connection uh, yeah. and he, he went to my goodness, me. about planes. Oh, uh, yeah, 4.6 inches on the small screen, 7.3 when it's folded out. And when they fold it out, I don't see the same. You know, it, it, it looks no, seamless. Yeah, I, I don't know how bad. they achieved that because uh, I, I assumed. Remember the the Surface Book that Microsoft put out with the weird yeah. hinge on it, and when you folded it over, it actually had a really big gap hmm. where it folded because it wasn't a perfect fold. This is a perfect fold;
2: it's going flat. So they talked about how I watched the CES demo and everything. So they talked a lot about how they had to engineer this insane um, hinge mechanism. That was the biggest problem with it was getting this hinge to work where it would be seamless and hmm. undone. so they they spent a lot of engineering power. I'm making sure that hinge did just that.
3: I wonder if they tested it to see, like, how many folds it could do, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, Seven? Think, think about <laughs> it. Can you possible? fold a fold yeah. seven
2: times? It's $2,000. Uh,
3: yeah. So if you get a $2,000 phone, you need to get two to three years of use out of that to yeah. even try and break even. And you need to really be replacing your tablet and so your phone. They
2: did talk about, like, making sure that it could withstand hundreds of thousands of opens and closes, foldings. Okay. So that it should last you the life of, Regular phone. So you
3: got to figure you'll probably open and close it 10 times a day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Assuming most of the time
3: you use it in phone mode. Mm -hmm. So let's say you open it 10 times a day. That's 3,650 times a year.
2: Yeah. Uh, So if they've got 100,000, yeah, that should cover you. That should cover you. Yeah. Now I saw a, uh, there was another Chinese manufacturer that was making another folding type phone, prototype still. um, And it was called the the Duo Flex or some junk like that. Okay. I actually liked it better. The way it worked was it, it kind of was long ways, and you, so you, if you had it long ways like a phone, you turn it, and it would fold in like that, two hinges. It's hmm. kind of cool. I think I remember I, seeing I like something like the on that. ratios of it better than I
3: definitely fold. wouldn't take a risk on a new brand, though. Oh, on, no, no. On they're they're,
2: they're well-established. I just can't remember the name of it right now. It's probably less
3: than $2,000, too. Yeah. yeah.
2: Probably. I'd be,
3: honestly, like Samsung, they make good phones. I'd, I'd be hesitant to buy in on this one, just first generation there's a lot of risk here and you just don't know how durable this phone's going to be
2: yeah
1: this is for celebrities and uh and people that want to just show off the the cool new thing not necessarily uh i don't think necessarily the workhorse you know that'll be version two version three um that comes out but it's cool that i mean it's where we're moving and Mm -hmm. so uh you know the the first steps aren't always the smoothest and I'm not a, a huge fan of the look of this thing, but I think we're going in the right direction. And they've got—it uh, was Samsung that had the the roll-up TV at CES, right?
3: Oh, I don't remember. I, I did see it. I don't remember who made or it. Have an LG, yeah.
1: but I mean that that technology exists in 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 those kinds of screens. Uh, you know, it, I mean, it's really the batteries I feel like holding us back in size. But I
3: did just notice it says the batteries, the two batteries combined are 4,380 uh, microamps yeah. or whatever that is, uh, which honestly is not that impressive. Not uh, I think your mm-hmm. note, you have a note, don't you? A note nine, yeah. And it's got more than 4,000. I have no idea what else. I'm just sure it is. Pretty sure give me the note. So, yeah, so it's actually not twice the exploding
2: power. No. Have you sad. tried folding the Eat note? It. <laughs> Justin tried folding his iPhone one time. Ooh. That didn't work out. Yeah, no. it's still it's still like banana shaped. It's yeah, pretty yeah, those, funny. It has been for a while. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, uh, if you're getting the new folding phone, you're you're going to want it on the best network. Oh, for definitely. Sure. Uh, and that is why it is great to hear. Uh, according to well, this is on MSN, but from Reuters. Uh, Trump urges U.S. telecommunications companies to step up their five G systems. Uh, so when we're dealing with uh, what is an arbitrary uh, naming uh, convention, why not just go bigger with it? You know, I, I say just jump. Isn't to that 6G. how numbers work?
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, all right. It it is. It's easy to make fun of President Trump right now, uh, it and it's easy to make fun of telcos and stuff. But in this case, uh, this is actually one of those times where the President is right. Uh, so 5G is actually standard, it's not arbitrary, like it calls for gigabit and higher wireless speeds. It actually calls for 20 gigabit wireless speeds, which is phenomenal. Yeah, I'll right? take we're, that. We're not going to have that anytime soon, but that's in the standard. Uh, the telcos that are out there, especially ATT, have said, ah, screw it. You know, we're just going to label our stuff 5G and call it a day. And so it's the same old 4G stuff. Um, And they're labeling theirs as 5GE or 5G evolution. We've talked about it here on the show. Uh, So they're not actually meeting the speed definition of 5G. Now, that, in a lot of people's opinion, is fraudulent activity. Don't say the phone is 5G if it's not actually 5G. So uh, what President Trump is doing is is, is kind of walking a line here. You know, do you go and penalize these companies, or do you just encourage them and say, you know what, stop being a bunch of d bags yeah. and actually, you know,
2: <laughs> give the people 5G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He so, wants to tweet faster. Yeah, I mean, do you know how many tweets he could put out on yeah, 5G? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Telecom companies, <laughs> slow down. <laughs> is 3G still available? Yeah. Can <laughs> Well,
3: that's fine. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so anyway, he came out. I thought the most interesting thing I thought uh, of all this was that it was him coming out and making the comments, yeah. and not Ajit Pai, you know, the right, right. the yeah. FTC or no FCC, FC, sorry, yeah. uh, which is the organization that should actually be doing this work that we totally cannot count on right now. So, uh, just well, he's, a he's received world. many undisclosed
1: uh, donations that have asked him not to uh, uh, up yeah. those standards. So, uh,
3: yeah. I'd be we'll curious see. to see where he goes to work after he steps down from the FCC. Yeah, I'll be shocked. Yeah, shocked. AT and T, Verizon <laughs> it's going <gotta> to be one <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. of them. Yeah, all Some sort of. Have you
2: seen our new, new, new folding nonprofits. phones? <laughs> 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 that's that's going to be his new line. <laughs> that's great. Yeah.
1: Uh, all right, uh, let's go to our, our last story for the day here. Uh, a sad one, but one uh, that, that we can uh, find a silver lining on, hopefully. Uh, this is on entertainment.slashdot.org. Uh, the star of the film Downfall and widespread Hitler Finds Out meme, uh, dead at 77. So it was Bruno Gans, a Swiss actor, um, and you know him for his portrayal of Adolf Hitler and how that has been... Uh, Changed a lot of times, and from from the original movie, where people have basically taken uh, the movie scene with uh, with him uh, with all his generals They're in at, a bunker. Uh, yeah, in a yep. bunker, and uh, they'll just change the subtitles. So he's saying the same thing every time. But no one speaks, no German. one speaks German here. <laughs> so uh, so they have a lot of fun with that. And here, uh, and yeah, I've got the,
3: the the Windows Eight one. Let's cue this up. So this this was. Uh, about when Windows 8 was coming out and if you watch the actual movie it's, it's a good movie uh, you know this is when Hitler is getting really angry about finding out how poorly his forces are doing but because it's in German here in the u.s. it <laughs> turned into a meme and they subtitle it with all sorts of things uh, yeah. and uh, and here it's talking about the Metro UI in Windows 8 yeah, I think this is the, the scene where the syphilis is really coming out
1: but, um <laughs> Uh, So, can this podcast now be shown in Germany? Uh,
2: I don't know. So, interesting. I'm about to blow y'all's minds. Uh We talked about the EU, you have the right to forget. Can the Hitler family say, forget Adolf? Like, remove him from all this? That's, That's our data. I don't know. <laughs> right? That's interesting. Go to, um, to ancestor.com yeah, yeah, and start
1: removing all. <laughs> now, like, we didn't have a grandfather. Yep,
2: didn't happen. <laughs> we, had, we had a great grandfather, sure. Yeah. yeah. father, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. I, I know I saw a special a while back where they had some of his his uh, uh, descendants, uh, several of which live here in the US. And uh, some of the surviving descendants have kind of made a pact not yeah. to have children, which is, is really, I mean, that's got to be a, wow. a crazy legacy to live with. Mm-hmm. Just. Day after day, but uh, in typical internet form, it has turned into a meme, which has made a lot of people laugh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at least you get some it kind was of happiness brilliant. out of a global tragedy. Yeah. And, and some of them, I mean, some of them are really vulgar, but a lot yeah. of them are actually really funny. If yeah. you go on YouTube, you can get down a whole rabbit hole in this one scene. So uh, it is sad that the actor died. He did a phenomenal job in the movie, though, if you ever see the, the actual movie and not the meme. Yeah, which I have not actually seen. But,
1: yeah, go back and, uh, and if you search on YouTube or anything for Hitler Finds Out, you'll see... Uh, you'll go down a rabbit it's, hole yeah, of, of some great ones, some bad ones. Don't but, have anything uh, to do. <laughs> yeah, for a while. And uh, and we'd like to point out that uh, that Technado has now uh, enacted Godwin's Law, uh, which we <laughs> talked about earlier. Um, it is, uh, as an online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Nazis or Hitler approaches one. Uh, so we made it. Uh, we that's how it. we know what that we've made it. Congratulations, boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't have a good transition to
3: our interview now.
1: No, we're coming from we're a Hitler, Hitler yeah. story, so uh, no. we had
2: to really take the air out of it. You know, it is great
3: <laughs> to revisit people that we've interviewed in the past, since so we've got a great interview lined up today with somebody we interviewed back at RSA 2016, and uh, and and it's Ron Gula, who was a co-founder over at Tenable. Uh, since then, he's moved on to start Gula technology or Gula Tech Adventures, which is a uh, angel investing firm. And so, you know, his world has changed a lot. So we're going to catch back up with him, find out what he's been doing. You'll definitely want to stay tuned. It's a fun interview.
1: Yep. Let's go ahead and do that now. We're going to kick Daniel out and bring in Ron. So uh, stay tuned. That's coming up right after this here on TechNATO.
3: I'm James Packer. I'm the General Manager of Kirk ISS based in the Cayman Islands. I used IT Pro TV extensively in my last place. It grew very well, helped upskill the team. I had 110 engineers in the field and we had dozens of IT Pro accounts with the guys training. And last year alone, they passed over 40 certs by using the online training. I think I can safely say um, without IT Pro TV, I wouldn't be where I was today because I only got this job on the back of the qualifications I have.
1: All right. Welcome back to TechNATO. And as promised, we have an interview now with Ron Gula. And Ron is with Gula Tech Adventures. He's a cyber entrepreneur and investor. But actually, we met Ron uh, in a previous life uh, when when we were uh, doing interviews back at RSA a few years ago, didn't we?
3: Yeah. yeah actually, you were with me then. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went out to RSA in 2016. We were interviewing a ton of people. And we were really fortunate to get an interview with Ron, uh, who at the time was co-founder, CEO of Tenable. And so we were talking about all the great things that were going on there. But I love doing interviews like these where we get to catch up with people a few years later and see all the neat stuff that is going on. And uh, last year, Tenable, they did an IPO. That organization's changed a lot. And Ron's gone on to do a lot of other exciting things. So we're really fortunate to get back onto the show so that we can find out what some of those things are. So, uh, Ron, thanks for joining us.
0: Hey, thanks for the kind words. It's great to see you guys again.
3: Yep, and, uh, you know, uh, one of the big things I want to stress right here is, while, while your history with Tenable is, is pretty exciting, and, and we've talked about that before, the new stuff is just as exciting, although it's kind of different. So you're now a part of Gula Tech Adventures, and wh- why don't we start with that, and, and can you tell the viewers a little bit about what that organization
0: is? Excellent. So one uh, last few years at Tenable, I got involved in angel investing. And this is where you perhaps help a new entrepreneur uh, with a little bit of money, a little bit of know-how, And I really felt it made me a better CEO at uh, at Tenable. I had more view of the market. But we did four or five investments, and we had a couple exits. We had a couple that didn't go so well. And when it kind of became time for the next phase of what I was doing in my cyber career, my wife and I decided to start Google Tech Adventures. So we took all of our angel investments, and we took some of the capital that we had made while, while working at Tenable with the IPO and whatnot, And we started our own venture capital fund. And today we've done investments in about 30 different companies. And uh, we're very excited. It's all different types of cyber companies. And I think I have, uh, I'm still learning every day and these companies keep me on my toes, but I think we're helping them and helping that next generation of cyber companies that are out there.
1: So I'd love to kind of, uh, you know, fill in that gap first uh, of of the time uh, when we did talk to you last, so that was, um, uh, RSA time, so that would have been March 2016. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about that journey first with with Tenable and and uh, you know the IPO and and what that process was like for you?
0: So, the IPO and that process is is just amazing. I'm such a lucky person to have been able to surround myself with a lot of different you know smart people in uh, in cyber and in in business. But I was CEO and and uh, co-founder for about 15 years, and we grew the company from from nothing to more than 20,000, you know, customers worldwide. Some really big numbers like 100 million dollars in revenue at 1.3 hundred million dollars in venture capital. Some of these things are still records which are kind of uh, kind of interesting. But what I was really proud of is that we took sort of vulnerability management from this thing you did once a quarter, you know, or maybe even once a year for some people, you know, do the scan and patch the systems to something that they have to do continuously. And uh, Tenable still you know innovating and moving forward with this kind of uh, kind of message and uh, just from an entrepreneur point of view we went a really long time without raising capital you know we were able to really start focusing on what's important you know making uh, our customers happy and if our customers happy they'll reward us with you know renewals and and uh, ideas and how to use the product and uh, i just i i could talk this entire interview just on what we did at tenable and how exciting that was but it was uh, definitely really really interesting
3: well, you know, I, I want to take the opportunity to talk about kind of the other side of it, though. I, we've interviewed a number of companies that have gone through the process of raising capital or, or even you know, being acquired, going through mergers. And on on that side of the, the table, things are always really exciting, because if you have a good product, then you deserve to make money. That just that makes sense, right? But now you're on the other side. You're, you're the one who's taking the risk. So you're going out and you're, you're finding organizations. You said you, you've dealt with about 30 organizations now, and you're putting not... I, and I'm going to imagine some of this here, so if, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're putting your own money as well as other people's capital on what is is certainly not a guaranteed bet. So what is that like? Like how, how different is that for you?
0: It's it's actually very similar to when I was CEO. So if you're a good CEO, you shouldn't be micromanaging. You shouldn't be telling people exactly what they should be. You should be enabling those people and trying to see what kind of issues are limiting their their success, their growth. and And much of what I find myself doing on a daily basis with 30 companies is not much different than what I did with, with Tenable. You have to get some face time with some people. You have to touch them maybe via email, via meetings, and and try to understand the role in the market. So, I was very lucky at Tenable to create a significant amount of of, uh, of wealth that we're giving back a little bit to, to uh, people who are starting. Uh, But what I like to say is we're not doing this alone. We're not just writing checks and saying we know we're the smartest people in the room. (laughs) Almost every deal we've done, we've actually brought in two or three other, what I consider super cyber angels, fairly sophisticated individuals who've been there, done that, and at least one or two other major uh, venture capital firms. So I really feel like we're right at that crossroads of know-how and having enough capital to make a difference, but also being able to attract, uh, like, for example, one of our companies, Inky, which is a... uh, uh, phishing AI-based, uh, you know, um, uh, spam company. We co-invested with them with uh, Clear Skies, which was uh, just, for example, one of the companies we've done business with.
1: And it took me a second there. I, I literally thought fishing with an F in my head. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. my God, they're putting AI in everything now. That's right. That's right. We know exactly where the fish are. We're using AI. We've got machine learning. It's the pole and everything. But no, that's pretty cool. What What are some of the other companies that uh, that you've had a chance to work with uh, now in this in this new venture that you're excited about?
0: Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of difference. And, and I like to think we're investing in sort of everything that Tenable didn't do. I'm not going to do a vulnerability management, you know, continuous network monitoring type of type of, type of of uh, product now. Um, so a couple ones we did. One of them is, is uh, Scythe. Uh, Scythe is a tool that really, really lets you simulate what the really bad people are doing to your network. So if I said, how long does a pen test take? Everybody says, hey, maybe a weekend, maybe two weekends. But I said, how long is somebody breaking into a network and staying there? And how good can you detect that? That's actually a hard problem to do. And that's what this company, Scythe, uh, does uh, we just did an investment in a um, a company that does secure storage. Some of our investments are kind of uh, contrarian to the market. Like everybody says, everything's going to the cloud. So we have an investment in a company called Racktop Systems, and they basically answer the question: You know, if you had a couple petabytes of storage, you know, of or, or data to store, what's your long-term plan for for doing that? Are you going to put that on an S3 bucket? Are you going to put that in a silo? you know, in the ground somewhere, you know, what's, what's your level of risk tolerance? And they've got a really good solution that kind of blends, you know, on-prem and, uh, and, and cloud. And then uh, we've done some stuff that's real next gen. Uh, so for example, Protego is a security company that does uh, Lambda, which is basically serverless security monitoring. And, you know, for Amazon, they were actually called out at the last reInvent conference, which was really nice. And then we've done stuff, if, if that's not too cutting edge for you, we've done some investments in, things called unikernels, which basically takes that container kind of uh, model and it carves up the kernel and it gives you actually like a little VM. That's just the code that you need to run that thing, which is almost impossible to, uh, to attack. So, but yeah, thanks for letting me drop some of these companies. <laughs> that, that company is called nano VMs, by the way. Okay. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and it's funny, Don and I have been talking about playing, um, buzzword bingo, uh, mm-hmm. on, on the show for a while. And man, we would have, we would have hit it all with, with that, that last answer. That would have, that yeah. great.
3: You know, it's become really challenging. And we saw this at RSA when we went down to like the, the startup center they had down in the basement. It was all the people that just had the one tiny little table each uh, where they had so many great ideas and uh, and they were all AI this, machine learning that, threat feed this. That you, you saw these buzzwords over and over again. And I think we've seen over the last few years where it's been super easy for companies to raise capital if they were involved in the security space and, and, and even some of the other Areas in IT lately have been like really easy to raise funding, but we've seen a number of articles and in other news sources where they're reporting on the you know the, the potential that there's a tech bubble that investments are slowing down. And uh, w- what does that look like for you? Do, do you think that uh, you know we're going to see less great ideas coming out because it's harder to get funding, or is everything still moving along full speed ahead?
0: I think that if uh, let's say we were talking about we were, this was a coffee show and you had an idea for a better coffee shop. And at the end of the day, if that coffee shop was just 5% better than in the experience you get at Starbucks, well, even if you were a great guy and it was a really good uh, coffee, I'm not going to invest in something that's 5% better. So there's a lot of security products that literally are 5% better. I get pitches all the time. Hey, don't you want to detect something better than perhaps CrowdStrike, right? Then perhaps FireEye. Don't you want to do vulnerability detection better than, you know, Qualys or Tenable? Of course, who wouldn't? But the cost of switching and then how much better are you really doing? is it's the tough thing so i think those kind of companies are going to get harder and harder to you know maybe invest in or grow and and sometimes markets move so i i don't want to say you know good or bad things about decisions i've made but i i would love that every one of the companies i've invested in has a billion dollar exit wouldn't wouldn't we all on um, the reality is is markets move things that were hot maybe two three years ago aren't hot now and there's companies that maybe have purchased some of those companies that are not doing so well today, and they need to pivot and reinvent and 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 watch the market, and that's something we did at Tenable. I mean, fifteen years, you're not scanning the same way we did in two thousand and three, right? We have virtualization, we have cloud, we've got mobile, we've got uh, all sorts of new things, and you know you have to adapt, and that's what I, something I try to do with every one of our companies.
1: So, so obviously, when you make an investment, you know you've got uh, you've got input in terms of board seats and things like things like that, and and obviously the companies that that uh, you're working with probably want to tap into that experience um, that you have. But but how hands-on do you like to get uh, with these, and, and how in the weeds are are you um, kind of stepping back and 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 letting them run with it?
0: Yeah. So I like to tell people I'm not the CEO. You know, I'm not going to one make you have to make some of these decisions, and most of the time. You know, there, there's any time I have a conversation with, with one of the companies, I'm trying to keep in mind, what is this big problem that they haven't addressed yet? You know, what are the number one or two strategic problems? And you can't, you know, do strategic problems all the time. But, but you have to be aware of what frames your, your arc of, of, of what you want. Maybe it's you have a bunch of founders and maybe two of the founders have quit and you were really nice to them, but a lot of their equity walked out with them. So now you have, you know, less chance of making money. Maybe the, your first person you raised from wasn't really a good partner and either you have a long-term issue with this person on your on your board seat And of course i'm talking about in general i'm not trying to imply this is any one of the 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 companies or maybe what happened at tenable or anything like that right but but the point is is you have to keep those in mind while at the same time being tactical about what is your plans for rsa right that's just going to be a week or two here at this point you know what are your plans for for advertising what are your plans for you know, doing an OEM, what are your priorities? It's so difficult for sometimes for a first time entrepreneur to really make sense of all those things. And that's what we are really trying to to, try to to do. A lot of times we get to say, Hey, you're doing a good job. Don't stop doing what you're doing. We've seen a lot of times where people will, they'll be doing something great. And then all of a sudden they'll change direction like, Oh, now we're going to be an OEM company and OEM, you know, our technology three different times, even though they had maybe banks and universities get ready to write checks. So it's all over the place. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of opportunity for success.
1: And we're, we're talking with Ron Gula of Gula Tech Adventures. And, and Ron, I'm curious that one of the other benefits, um, aside from you know getting your expertise, is uh, kind of that uh, partnership and collaboration with other companies that, that are in your portfolio. So have you been able to find some synergies there where uh, you've been able to have this company help the other company that you're working with?
0: Yeah, we, we have. So, uh, so for example, a new company that we are started working with is a company called Grey Noise. They are basically a threat intelligence feed that is a feed you can ignore. And this sounds like the inverse kind of problem because uh, we have uh, other companies that do the opposite. You know, threat intelligence you really need to pay attention to. But the idea is when you run all your sensors, you have to be able to uh, know what's important and what's not important. Being able to reliably throw something away helps that problem, you know, quite, you know, quite a bit. Um, that particular company is looking to work with uh, a number of our other companies. We have a log analysis, data analysis company called Gravwell. They've already done some work uh, together to integrate those things.
3: We've actually uh, interviewed Gravwell twice. Yeah. Uh, I had a chance to meet them out at Wild West Hackin Fest, and uh, and they're a, they're a great startup. Their their product's really neat. We've been. I've been working on the background. We're pushing our our weblogs into that to do analysis. Was that
1: was that the FCC, uh, yeah, the,
3: yeah. Uh, comments? Yeah, that was a really cool interview. Yep,
1: and then and
0: that's a a really good example of you know a company that's got a great technology, and we've got to actually figure out you know how the market's going to to do that because at, at a high level you say okay this is a it's um, it's a, a deployment based not consumption based licensing model. Wouldn't people who have consumption-based models want to switch over? And it turns out that everybody says that. But in practice, if somebody's, you know, maybe got a big investment in Splunk or um, uh, like logarithm or something like that, these of course are all great products, but if they got a big investment in that, they might not be apt to switch over. So the value prop's got to be really good. And if you've been looking at GravWell, they've been adding a lot and lot of content and features to kind of answer that question.
1: Now, I should clarify real quick I know you had a question there Don, but uh, we, we mentioned uh, a previous interview if you if you want to go check uh, check that out uh, it was I don't know probably 10 or 15 episodes ago but uh, basically Gravwell had uh, looked at all the comment data uh, from the FCC comments uh, regarded to net neutrality and were able to um, uh, basically determine which ones were, um, were bots and, and things like that and it was uh, Pretty startling to see, but uh, but Don, anyway, back to the question you had,
3: yeah. And I, and I don't want to sound like a gravel advertisement, uh, because we're, we're certainly not compensated by them, but uh. You know, if it's a new project, you know, take take that that risk of change out of the out of the picture for a new project. I had looked at standing up an elk stack to do some data analysis for us, which is just a nightmare to set up versus Gravwell that I had up and running in I don't know fifteen minutes or something. Well, so we're not beneath being <laughs> being paid by by Gravwell. No, that's, that's true. What you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> but well, uh, this this
0: oh. goes into oh go ahead go ahead. <laughs> well,
3: so um you know going going well I was about to change topic. So if you, <laughs> you want to stay on that one.
0: Well, so that example I meant about being 5% better. Like if you're only 5% better than maybe a free open source variant like Elk, for example, you know, it's kind of hard to get people to switch over. But when that pain is so high, and I, a bunch of my companies use Elk, they love Elk, right? But they invest in making it work. If you don't have those resources, a lot of people will switch over to Splunk. And trying to get something like Gravel in the middle of that is is you got to be there at the right place at the right time. Because uh, one thing about security is... When people pick a product, they're really kind of betting their careers on that. And, and we saw this at Tenable. I have many a person who picked Tenable early on. And, you know, I mean, I think we were very kind to each other. But I think that once they make a bet on a vendor, they're not going to switch. Whether it's an open source choice, whether it's their choice of operating system, people become very, very inflexible in what uh, what they're doing. I'd like to see that change a bit. But, um, you know, that's just kind of the way the industry really is.
3: All right. now let's let's take a step back from vendors for a minute um, I did an interview with Bruce Schneier not too long ago and he, he caught me by surprise when I asked him you know what we need to be looking at in the, the upcoming year what we need to uh, what we expect to, to see the most advancement in the, in the world of security and he had said that he hoped that it would be uh, government regulation uh, government regulation of things like IOT and, and other areas and I'm personally not a big fan of that, but I know that there's a lot of activity going on in the world of public policy and just the changes that need to happen on a policy level to help protect and secure our networks, because the threats on the networks are, are far more significant today than they used to be. So we could go on and on about all these different vendors and, and solutions and technologies that can help with that, but where where do you see that direction going as far as like government involvement or, or just, uh, you know, I guess, government at any level, really?
0: Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, again, we could do another whole hour on this. I actually do get a chance to to have this conversation with, uh, let's just say, a variety of politicians. Um, <laughs> my feeling is is we haven't had a really good framing of what the problem is in cybersecurity. So if I said the problem, the number one problem in cybersecurity is that we have to keep Chinese and Russian and Iran and North Korea, we have, we have to keep these foreign states out of our networks okay, that's not a bad problem. Right now we can talk about cyber command. We can talk about trade sanctions. We can talk about, you know, what does, what, what do you as a citizen, what, what should you do to make it harder, you know, for China to hack into Marriott, you know, that, that kind of thing. That's easy. But now if we said, well, it's privacy, you know, we want sort of the science fiction universe where you can use whatever kind of data you want, any kind of application you want and talk to anybody you want and it's got to be secure. Well, that's not really something people said that they wanted and by the way i don't know if we i don't even know if we can build that i think hollywood can put that in a movie but i don't know that we know how to build something like that so so we have all these conflicting things and then then we start getting into all these tactical things like well should the government have rights to read your email well under a certain court order sure of course why not does that means your email provider has to put hooks into their software to make that easier i i don't know so these things are really, really interesting. I'm, I'm generally in favor of privacy. I don't think people realize how valuable their data really is and how much that we are a product of what we're doing. We're basically powering Google and, and, and Facebook and, and, and Amazon and anybody doing this large-scale data research. And what they're doing is not necessarily evil, but they certainly didn't get that from me when I said, I clicked on the EULA and said, go ahead, use my free Gmail account. So I, I am in favor of a lot of these privacy regulations that are going on. I probably hit a lot of different topics right there. Anything you guys want to dig into further?
3: Yeah, you know, there were a couple that popped into my mind. I, I always felt like the risk with personal data was that once you've shared it, you can't really unshare it. You can't you can't take it back. And, uh, you know, they say, like, if somebody compromises your password, you can change your password. It's no big deal. But if they steal your fingerprints, you can't change your fingerprint, right? So everybody puts a lot of extra effort into protecting fingerprints, even though there, there are easier ways to get them. So right now, a lot of systems, like, like we've seen with Facebook and with others, they let you put all your personal data in there, and then a compromise happens, the data's out, and nobody can stop that. I think that putting a wall around a country isn't really going to make any difference in, in that kind of attack. And you've seen China's already got the wall. Uh, you know, the the Great Firewall of China. Uh, Russia is actually doing a test on theirs. I believe it's next month that test is happening. So they've got their wall now, uh, or they will. I don't think the U.S. has made moves to do that at all, at least none that I'm aware of. So have you heard of anything in the U.S.? Well,
0: that's an interesting way to look at that, right? So if you take away China and Russia, my comment about them being adversarial, and you really look at this as a struggle of a closed system, right? China and Russia are basically dictatorships where they monitor their, civilians and they they use the internet against them here in most democratic countries we have facebook we have we have amazon we have netflix we have fang we have we have all that kind of stuff you could argue that they're um you know maybe monopolistic or whatever and i think that's i think that's debatable but if you look at our system versus these dictatorship systems it kind of changes all these conversations about offense and defense what is privacy what does it mean to protect my data what are the responsibilities of the government to prevent something like an OPM breach again? Um, it, one thing we just don't do, because we don't have that value of data. What is the value of my email sitting at Google? Nobody can really put a price on that. And because they can't put a price on that, when something bad like an OPM breach where you lose the top secret sort of resume of all of our you know, agents and stuff out there and our, our service members, oops, we, we replace the CISO. That's That to me, there, there, there needs to be a bigger penalty to go with that, so that's why these privacy laws that California passed, things that we're thinking about doing in the states, sort of like the GDPR. I think they're good because they basically say, "Whoa, wait a second! Don't amass all that data. That you know, if you're going to do that, there has to be significant penalties if you if you screw up with that data."
3: Well, I know the area that keeps kind of tripping me up is I've kind of lost track of who the good guys are. I know who, who the bad guys are. You, you know there's several different governments and, and even uh, commercial organizations that are that are the bad guys, that we know what they do with our data. Uh, but then the good guys, the people that we feel like are the good guys, it seems like it's almost just a, a matter of time before you find out what they're doing. And uh, and that's kind of how Facebook has been, that they, they actually had a pretty good reputation all the way up until about two years ago, and then it's just gone steadily downhill ever, ever since then. Uh, well, I feel like I mean, Amazon realize- is next.
0: When when you go into Apple, when you go into Facebook, when you go into Google, when you go to Apple, they don't you don't run into these people oh, 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 I'm getting your children's DNA. You know you don't run into things like that. You get people who care very deeply about the security and what and what they're doing. But as a society, you know we haven't decided if like you know Facebook is a long-term good thing for, for us. It is you know uh, I, I read a lot of science fiction, so I'm I'm imagining a future. Where, you know, maybe Amazon gets into healthcare, and you go to order the pizza from the drone and it it says, oh, you can't have the pizza because your cholesterol is a little too high, you know, and that's the kind of thing I think people are realizing that hey, that's a little spooky that they have all that data. And yes, they can deliver stuff instantly to me. But on the other hand, they might be able to deny certain things. Now, that's a very dystopian future. But people are worried that we're building that kind of thing.
3: Well, let me, let me get your opinion on this news, news article this week uh, about Google's Nest, uh, the Nest Guard product, the security system. Uh, they activated a new feature where the Google Assistant would be active in it, which revealed to the world that, oh, by the way, there's a microphone built into these devices that we never told you about. So they have deployed this hardware in tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of homes across the United States, and then they suddenly announced, oh, by the way, there was a secret microphone. Now, the way they they explain it is... Sorry, and we didn't we didn't mean for that to be a secret. It was just there waiting for us to enable this Google Assistant feature. You never asked. You never John, asked. I mean. So, is that do you think that's an honest genuine mistake or is there a, a conspiracy here like, you know, is there they've got a track record of like when they were mapping out all the Wi-Fi networks across the US where it turned out they weren't just mapping the Wi-Fi networks, they are actually capturing the Wi-Fi data when they did it and oops, you know, we were just doing that for research. So, how many mistakes like that do we do we say, well, yeah, it was probably an honest mistake? Before you say, wait and a minute.
0: then, how many people? I think, like, I don't have a Nest; I'm not a Nest user. So I think the real question would be, if you're a Nest user, how many people threw it out the next day?
3: Now, too expensive. You know? for
0: it's that. kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of a pain to, like, you know, remove it from your thermostat or your thermostat control. Hook up those the red wire, the green wire, you know, all that kind of stuff in there, and then and then get it going. Um, it's you know, it it is this society of of surveillance that we have where. You know, the person who's complaining about that is probably complaining about that into their Alexa with every one of their TVs that has a Skype-enabled microphone on it. By the way, every one of the speakers in their house could probably be used as a, as a listening device. You know, so the question is, what is the threat that we're really worried about? And, yes, should Google have been, should, you know, should, should the government have said, no, there, there's there's something you did wrong here and there should be a penalty. Yeah, there should. I really wish the government was more proactive at these tactical things, because frankly, I mean, if I buy any type of software and it's not good, or a product is not good, I want to be able to report it and do something as a, as a as a citizen. But that's that's what commerce is for. That's what your state commerce people are for, and and that's what people should do. They should complain and not just go to Twitter and <laughs> and talk about it. Right? You know, they should actually try to engage their legislature, talk about them why that that is. And I always tell people. You know, don't be a stranger to your state capital. The people who tend to volunteer and go into public service are not people who typically invented cryptography or did penetration testing. Now, there's some, but they're, they're few and far between. And if people are watching this and going, wow, I've never been in my state capital, call your representative up. Tell them your concerns. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. They're your concerns. Go tell them. And so we have better representation of technology people at, all throughout government.
3: Now you've interacted at the federal level. How have you found the reaction to be there? Do they do they listen? Do you feel like there's forward momentum on it, or is it just they listen to you and then move on and, and that's it?
0: Yeah, there, there's two types of experience. So living close to Washington D.C., I have a lot of access to different different kind of of, of events. You know, um, you could take this conversation, take one snippet out it, put it on Fox or put it on MSNBC, and we look like idiots. And that's ninety percent of what people see about their politicians. The reality <laughs> is, is, that a lot of people do know what they're talking about, and they they, they are fairly uh, fairly educated. Uh, one example is I um, I'm I'm a something called a global fellow at the Wilson uh, Center, where they train staffers for congressional staffers in a lot of different technologies, including cyber. But how do you take? you know, I'm 50, so I can say this, you know, a junior person who's in their late 20s, right? If that might be being, being, uh, the, anyway, you know, and teach them about cybersecurity in like a couple afternoon sessions, right? But at least the intent is there to, uh, to get people involved and learn more. So, you know, if people are listening and they want to give back, talk to their politicians. doesn't matter which party, just, just tell them the information. And they most people who go into po- politics, don't go in for, for power and greed. They go to serve.
1: Now, uh kind of on this topic I was looking down your LinkedIn which I should mention is ridiculously long I've never had to hit um, show five more experiences show five more experiences so many times and it's not because you're you're like job hopping but you're you're on all these boards so uh, in your defense you do tend to stay at a job for more than a week uh, but you would think otherwise <laughs> looking down this list but at the very bottom um, you were uh, you were in the the Air Force and uh, you were uh, you know, I had some work with the the, with the NSA at, at Fort Meade, and um, we just came back. Um, some of our uh, people at IT Pro TV came back from uh, an FCA conference. We've got another one coming up, actually, uh, up in Baltimore soon. Enough. And I'm curious because uh, IT Pro TV, our, a lot of our members are either um, active military or people that are um, veterans and maybe uh, getting some certifications and and moving into the private sector. So I'm, I'm just curious how that experience uh, prepared you um, for your career or if it if you feel that it did.
0: Oh, it absolutely did. I'm I'm so lucky to have served with people I've served with both in the civilian government. My last tour at the NSA, I had a lot of interaction with with government service people, as well as being in the uh, in, in, in the Air Force. Um, I hit the NSA at the right time. It was the late 90s. And it was right when terms like penetration testing were starting to be used. And the group I was with was was this group called the pit. And a lot of people in that group have gone on to do some really interesting things. Jeff Mann, is, uh, he's a speaker, uh, speaks a lot of different places, RSA, is guest on um, Security Weekly very very often, author, that kind of stuff. Uh, Errol Weiss is a good friend of mine. He's a senior executive. Uh, he did a lot with FSISAC, both at Citibank and he's at Bank of America right now. Um, it's just really good to meet, meet those people. But for the most part, I tell people, if you're in the military today, and you've got that fear of missing out that a lot of millennials have. People in the service have that too. They don't, they kind of wonder what's going on in the uh, private sector. The reality is, is almost everything that you're doing in the military side, whether it's civilian or, 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 or dot mill, it's very similar to what's done internet and information security wise on, at a bank, at a, at a big university. know, uh, there's policies, there's technology, there's budgets. And a lot of people, this actually hurts the government a little bit. There's a brain drain where, people who have that talent and that know-how are being pulled into the private sector. And it's actually good for the private sector, but it does hurt, you know, NSA, CIA, uh, DOD, not being able to keep that really good talent.
1: Interesting. Um, so, you know, obviously uh, I joke that there's a lot of things here, and you mentioned a lot of companies that you're you're working with, but uh, is there one place that uh, we can kind of go and see, uh, you know, what what you're up to with, with Gula Tech and, uh, and all the different uh, companies you're working with?
0: Yeah, thanks for asking. So I maintain a website at uh, gula.tech, at www.gula.tech. I typically blog about our new investments and when there's major product releases or interviews with uh, with the founders. And I will put some, you know, typical uh, either thought leadership pieces on how I feel about certain things. I live in Maryland, so there's a lot of cyber companies, a lot of that DOD mission-based focus is, is, is here. So I do talk a lot about you know, what does it mean to be in cyber in Virginia, D.C., and Maryland? It's a little di- different than than uh, than worldwide just because we have such a large concentration of service providers, Booz Allen, SAIC, Lidos, that kind of stuff. And it's, it's uh, very interesting times out here.
1: And by the way, I love I love that the company is called Gulatech Adventures as opposed to, you know, Ventures, <laughs> which most companies are because, I mean, it really is <laughs> an adventure with, uh, with with some of these investments, I'm sure.
0: I've never had anybody call up and ask for travel booking, but I'm sure it'll happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, do you guys do bungee jumping or what's going on? Zipline. <laughs> Don, anything we didn't cover? You wanted to ask him. Mean, I know you know there's a ton to cover here, but uh, yeah,
3: I, I think we've been all all over the board on this interview. It's uh, it's been a good time. I, I definitely want to thank you again for spending
0: the time with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, the the, the uh, follow back, and uh, maybe we'll talk again in a couple of years.
1: Yeah, well, let's, let's. I mean, we waited 2016 to 2019. Let's do it quicker maybe next time. It 2021, sounds, <laughs> here we come. Yeah, it sounds like the pace of things is going a lot quicker now with all the different, uh, uh, you know, things and all the different poles you have in the water here. So, uh, well, especially with AI fishing. There we go. Uh, yeah. Yes. I, I'm... Way to, way I want, I'm going to talk back. to you about uh, an AI phishing venture I just came up with uh, about some investments. So we'll see if we can work something out. But uh, thank you so much, Ron, for joining us. And thank you, all of you, for watching. But stay tuned. We've got more TechNado coming up right after this.
2: Enjoying TechNado? Then be sure to check out Ignite, another podcast from the Pro TV network. Ignite highlights
0: stories of leadership as host Vicki Guy interviews a new business person each week. Learn more at itpro.tv slash podcasts.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Ron, for joining us and uh, catching us back up on um, all that's happened in the last few years. That was, a, that was an interesting one. And I've, and I've been thinking more now about my uh, fishing AI company. And I think it can be like Waze where uh, we take data on where other people have caught fish uh, and then use AI to mix in uh, migration patterns and weather. All right. And basically, yeah. it's it's a virtual
2: fish finder. Now, if people started, like, putting their fish finder data into your system, yeah.
3: that would be amazing. So now it you've means. got social machine learning. Uh, big data yeah. is wrapped up in this. we got to be able to take it it's a little bit further. It's going to be built in
2: containers. Crowdsourced. Right? Yes. And yes. crowdsourced. Yeah. And
3: if you know, a, a school of fish is going to avoid sharks, right? So we could have a threat feed come out of this. Sure. That's Bingo. Uh, Bingo. Yeah. Drones. How <laughs> do we really factor it's drones in? Well, right. drone. Have you, you seen drone. drone fishing? Yeah, No. I
1: have. Oh, yeah. They I mean, people are fishing with drones. With drones, put a hook and and a out and drop it down. How do they know if they're getting a bite? They see because the it pulls the, dip, the stick the drone of drone. <laughs> <drops>. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be a powerful drone. Yeah, yeah. depending on what Give you're be no after. sissy drone. <laughs> yeah, spend some time there on on the old YouTube's drone, uh, drone, drone fishing. fishing. Yes, sir. Wow. Yeah. All
3: right, yeah. now I'm trying to think of like what other crazy thing I can do with a drone. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't just get a drone to take off and land without destroying it, so I don't know. Like, yeah. the mastery... So let's do this over water. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's no way I could do that, but drone fishing. Sure enough, <laughs> there's people with it. Up. Up. There you go. go. Yeah. 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 you got to find out. Right. Drone fishing for tuna? No way. This is BS. This is made up. Oh, it's cans. <laughs> <laughs> it's magnet fishing. You like, all right. that, that's a DJI drone. There is no way that could lift a tuna, even a baby tuna. I... Well, let's see. Oh, and I think, is this the guy that put little floats on there, too? I don't know. I, I think
1: he's got some. Wow, look at those fish right under there! Wait, those people have poles. What's happening? And
3: it's drone time. Maybe they use the drone to just go f- to the end. Maybe they use the drone to like drop the bait
2: where the tuna yeah. is. Yeah, and then uh, oh, that's it's... exactly right. And then they snag it with and a they pole. Snag okay, pole. all right. That, so that, that there's that's like cool. a hook. There's a hook that's that on an scene. actuating arm, and they drop the actuating arm, and then he pulls it in with the. Okay. All right. Yeah, because I... There I've was seen no a way- guy just straight up fish with the drone, though, too. So. I mean, I guess you could uh, if it was fish. We'll find that. We'll find that.
1: But maybe, maybe that's, that's a topic for next week. I know we're... Running low on time here, but before we let you go, we did want to let you know about a couple of things coming up from IT Pro TV. First of all, we've got some webinars coming up. Uh, the next one is eight steps to a successful cloud migration. It's on Thursday, February 28th, with our very own Don Pezet, um, who is figuring out. Uh, I think he's on step six right now. I was um, trying to get it to 12 steps, yeah, but I, I just I couldn't I couldn't we'll come up with there. enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we can come up with some extra steps, um, you know, calling your friends and apologizing. <laughs> <the right laughs> so, um, but if you want to Forgive check yourself. that out. Uh, head over to itpro.tv slash webinars uh, you can sign up for that one you can also uh, take a look at all of our on demand webinars uh, that you may have missed in the past and uh, and go ahead and watch those as well uh, so you can stay up to date with what's going on uh, also if you want to learn more about tech in general then head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado uh, that's where we've got a special offer uh, for a 7 day free trial and uh, 30% off your subscription we've got great new pricing uh, that we just rolled out uh, this gives you an opportunity to get an even better price than that uh on it pro tv uh, also some information there about requesting a demo for your team uh if you are with a business so check that out over at go.itpro.tv slash technado well guys thank you so much it's always a fun one when we mm-hmm. have daniel here he uh, has some some nice uh Perspectives on things, and, uh, and isn't like afraid to say what his they're mind. called. Yeah, <laughs> perspective. No social cues. Yeah, and uh, and thank you to our guest as well today. Uh, really good episode, and thank you all for watching. We will see you next week right here on TechNada.